Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy podcast featuring Reverend Eric. Join me on an exploration of the practice, philosophy, and history of the occult, esotericism, and the paranormal. Welcome back to the Arnamancy podcast. Today we have a special episode. Uh, in this episode, I am being interviewed by Coleman Stevenson of The Dark Exact. This interview is actually part of the Third Eye Sundays live show series. It was sort of a promotional interview to help um, drum up interest in that show. Uh, each month, Third Eye Sundays welcomes a rotating panel of intuitive professionals such as tarot card readers, oracle readers, psychics, energy workers, etc., as well as other creatives, counselors, and wise folk to answer your urgent questions live on Zoom. Each show begins with a collective forecast for the coming month by the guest panelists using a spread that attendees can follow along with. And then the panelists are presented with a series of anonymous questions submitted by attendees. And each of the panelists provides meaningful advice using their intuitive gifts. Each question gets at least four answers using a variety of modalities. I was on part two of the Third Eye Sundays program and there is a link to that in the show notes which i think is available for about two weeks and tickets for part three of third eye sundays are now on sale and you can find a link to those in the show notes so this following interview was conducted by my dear friend coleman stevenson you might remember her from the one and only arnamancy live show back in september 2019 coleman is the author of three collections of poems light sleeper breakfast and the accidental rarefication of Pattern 5609. She's also written several books about the tarot, including The Dark Exact Tarot Guide, and a book of essays on creativity accompanying the card game Metaphysic. Her writing has appeared in a variety of publications, such as Seattle Review, Mid-American Review, Louisiana Literature, Tarot.com, and the anthology Motionless from the Iron Bridge. The original video for this interview can be found on Coleman's Instagram TV on her Instagram page, Dark Exact. There's also a link to that in the show notes. Before we switch over to the interview, I also want to mention that my new class is now open for enrollment. My new class is called Tarot and the Art of Memory, the Major Arcana. It follows up on my previous class, which was Tarot and the Art of Memory, the Minor Arcana. The powerful images of the tarot are a perfect accompaniment to the art of memory. This new class will teach you how to use the art of memory in conjunction with the major arcana of the tarot in multiple ways. You will learn how to use the memory seals of Giordano Bruno to memorize the major arcana and their occult correspondences. And also, we will discuss and I will teach you how to use the major arcana to create a memory seal of your very own. This class will be held on Monday, June 28th. There is a link for enrollment in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the interview. I am super excited to have you, Eric, with me here today. And we're going to talk about all things tarot. I think we should just go ahead and get started. All right. I'm ready. So <laughs> I want to just quickly introduce uh, you to everybody. So uh, this is Eric Arneson, who is a practicing magician. He got his first tarot deck in the late 1980s and has been working with the cards in some capacity ever since. He is the host of the Arnamancy podcast and writes about tarot, magic, and the occult on his site, arnamancy.com. And I'm really very excited that you are going to be one of the panelists for this coming Sunday's uh, Third Eye Sunday's event. Um, for folks who don't know about that, uh, this is our second one that we're doing. We're inviting uh, a group of panelists to join us to do live readings from audience questions. Uh, we'll also do a collective spread uh, reading and just other fun things. We always have a raffle where you can win a free service with one of the panelists. It was a really fun event the first time we did it. I'm excited to do it again, and I'm thrilled that you are joining us for this one. 
Thanks. I have a question though. Like what happens if I win the raffle and I win a reading with myself? Uh, <laughs> I think there's some uh, fine print somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not eligible. I don't know. Uh, panelists not being eligible to participate in the raffle or if there isn't, there will be as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> Dang. I should have Thank said you anything. for your fine legal mind uh, to alert me to the holes in our plan. Okay, so uh, just uh, I'll mention this again at the end of our chat today, but if anybody is interested in being in the audience for our event on Sunday, it's uh, Sunday the 16th. It's at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Um, we have tickets for sale right now. They're $9. There's a link in my dark exact bio straight to it. Or you can go to thirdeyesundays.com, and third is spelled out in our URL. Uh, and we would love to have you. Um, it, it's a big experiment, but the first one went well, so I think it's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, and we've got awesome folks in addition to Eric, uh, Jesse Karsten, who's another uh, reader here in Portland, uh, Charlie Claire, who is on this call, the word which. Um, you can uh, check them out uh, in the comments here where I'm hoping they're going to throw lots of really excellent questions at you today, Eric. Um, <laughs> and then Xavier Fry, who's one of our regular panelists, will be back with us on Sunday as well. So speaking of questions, Eric, are you ready? Uh, no. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I can end. Real easy with you here. So, oh, uh, we'll, I've never we'll seen that happen before. Topic, uh, in a minute, we, we're going to chat about continuing education for tarot readers. But first, uh, since you mentioned that it was in the late '80s that you got your first tarot deck, I'm curious which deck that was. It was a. Uh, it was the Alice in Wonderland tarot. Oh, really? Yeah, and if I recall correctly, I bought it at a uh, a little bookstore in Bandon, Oregon, on the coast of Oregon. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Alice in Wonderland Tarot, it was basically just a uh, Rider weight deck that was, you know, themed up with Alice in Wonderland characters. And uh, I sold it sometime in like the late 90s, early 2000s for a really amazing profit I think you know because I mean I bought it just like off the shelf and then it ended up being a rare deck and I think I sold it for like $150 I see those on eBay sometimes and yeah they, they're they usually over 100 for the ones of that particular vintage Yeah, that's a cool deck the suits are are altered right like isn't one of them flamingos and I forget now uh... but they, <laughs> they've done with the suits. I do think I do think the suits are altered but also like that was you know, I got rid of it so long ago. I I don't remember. And there are so many tarot decks. I it's hard to keep track of uh, you know, the ins and outs of every single tarot deck. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And so many and ever increasingly too. So, um, out of curiosity since you don't have that one anymore, what deck do you read with the most now? Well, um that's a good question. I guess Honestly, I still go back to the Rider Waite Smith most of the time. Um primarily because it's the deck that most people are familiar with. Uh but I use yours quite a bit, the Dark Exact Tarot. Um hey. it's a it's an easy deck to read and um yeah, and it's you know, got nice clean lines, I guess. Uh and then the other deck that I probably use the most often is the the Rota Tarot by uh Sor Tsadkiel. Uh I really like that one. It's packed full of like weird esoteric stuff. It's all BOTA mixed with uh, Sword Sodkiel's own strange revelations. Uh, it's really, really brightly colored, and I carry it around in my bag all the time. So if you see me walking around with a backpack, that's probably the tarot deck I have with me. But so would it be all right then for people to just come up and tap you on the shoulder and ask to see it when they run into you out in the world? Oh yeah, if they got cash, I'll totally show them anything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing uh, that deck for the first time at the Texts and Traditions conference up in Seattle. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I probably had it with me. Uh, well, I saw it, uh, it This even before I met you. It was for sale at, at one of the book tables there. Uh, mm. This is probably three or so years ago. And I was 
I noticed it because it is so full of color. Oh yeah, it's, it's like vivid. Explosion of color. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, what other forms of divination do you practice other than cardamancy? Um, well, I uh, I've been sort of toying with Lenormand, which I guess is another form of cardamancy. Um, aside from that, I use a pendulum from time to time. I uh, I'm familiar, or at least practiced with geomancy. Um, although I haven't been using it very much for the last ten or fifteen years. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I guess I, I toy around with other forms of divination, but I don't use them a whole lot. I do some I do scrying, but I'm not really sure if that counts as divination or something else. I guess it is divination. Um, guess depending on the intent you have when you're using it yeah sure yeah yeah i guess so so yeah i mean i guess uh a, a variety of things like that mostly cardamancy that's that's pretty much my big one i've definitely been doing that for longer than anything else and uh with more regularity than anything else i'm interested when you use uh, a pendulum how you you do that do you have a particular board that you work with do you use it in conjunction with the cards? I have used it um, a number of ways. Uh, the first way, the way that I in originally learned was without any sort of board or anything like that, you basically get the pendulum and uh, you kind of like interview it before you start using it. So you're like, you know, show me a yes, show me a no, show me a maybe, that sort of stuff. Um, so I've done that without any sort of board down below. And then um, I've also used... Um, a variety of boards, you know, you can find like tons of them on the internet that you just sort of print out and use those. Uh, and I've also used it in uh, more esoteric work for in really strange ways using stuff like, uh, oh, I can barely even remember what I, oh yeah, I think I used it doing weird like uh, spirit work using like the Sigillum Day Amet from John Dee and that sort of stuff. Oh, so, very cool. Yeah, so I've kind of mixed it up a lot. I, it's it's one of those things that I'm still experimenting with because I, I don't always trust my results so much, but um, but it's always an interesting experience, that's for sure. Well, I like the way that you uh, define the, the parameters first before mm -hmm. you enter into the session, so that makes a lot of sense. We have a question here. Someone's wondering how astrology factors in to your practices? Uh, well, I have been, I, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with astrology and I've definitely, like I, I have been incorporating it into like my magical practices for ages, um, but I'm not good enough with astrology uh, to call myself like a astrologer. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I practice astrological divination at all, um, but I do use astrology in, uh, for like astrological magic, um, I'm currently doing a Deccan walk, which which is all about sort of like studying the relationship between various astrological symbols and the minor arcana. Um, and of course, you know, the astrology, uh, astrology and the major arcana are really uh, intimately connected if you follow that particular path of esoteric tarot. So um, I use it maybe not as much as a practiced astrologer would if they were uh, doing tarot, but... Um, but yeah, it's definitely a part of, of uh, how I use tarot. So why is it that cardamancy is your go-to? What do you like best about this form? I mean, I honestly think that the main reason cardamancy remains my go-to is, uh, is a combination of familiarity and sloth. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been doing it for so long. Like I started, I started working with, you know, I started playing with tarot or, or learning tarot, you know, like in the in the late 80s. That's that's a long time ago. That's like before a lot of people were even born. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think a lot of it is just that I'm so familiar with it. There, there's very little chance that any other form of divination is ever going to be as like familiar or comfortable as as a uh, as tarot. Um, but in addition some you know the depth of some of the work that I did with it you know when I started um when I started studying ceremonial magic and working with uh uh you know various ceremonial magic traditions a lot of it involved like really deep uh work with the tarot 
And because of that, I've had experiences with the tarot cards or because of the tarot cards or near the tarot cards that have, uh, I don't know, I guess kind of like cemented my relationship with them pretty strongly. You know, I've probably had more weird magical um, encounters or reactions or whatever around tarot than any other thing. So... It, I guess I'm just maybe I'm that's that's it I've, I'm just it's familiarity more than anything else that really sets us up well for what we decided we'd have as our topic today so it's this whole idea about continuing tarot education mm-hmm. uh, especially for for readers who who operate on a more professional capacity um it's great to have something that you're familiar with, right? A tool, a process that you really, really trust and that you feel like you know so intimately that it will always communicate with you. But that can also sometimes be our downfall, right? Yeah. If yeah. we know a thing too well, we might start making assumptions. So how do you think that as readers we can – we can continue our tarot education. We can stay relevant. Um, we can keep challenging ourselves to learn more. Well, I think uh, I think that's a really big and difficult question. Um, like I, I personally, you know, working with tarot for this long, uh, have run into um, myself sort of having this assumption where, oh yeah, I've got everything under control. I understand all there is to know about tarot. Uh, probably dozens of times, you know, throughout the last, throughout the decades of working with it, right? Where you just sort of figure, you know, I've been doing tarot for this long. I'm so comfortable with this, you know, particular deck or this particular set of cards or this particular, you know, tarot paradigm where I just feel like I'm, you know, on top of the world now. I'm the master, master of tarot. Um and I think that uh, it's it it's a it's a problem I think across um, every body of knowledge and even every profession. You know, in a lot of like professional, you know, real world, mundane world, you know, like normal people professions. Um, you know, certification doesn't last forever. You know, you have to do continuing education. You have to continually be exposed to like new. Um, new concepts, new ways of thinking, new developments in the field and that sort of stuff. Um, with tarot, one of the issues that we have is that, is that the, the depth of content is, is incredible. You know, we have multiple sort of like schools of interpretation, multiple schools of symbolism, multiple, um, approaches to how the cards can be read or how the symbolism and the cards are looked at. And it's easy to, uh, lose sight of the fact that, um, first of all, you're not going to be good at all of them. Uh, second of all, you're never going to master all of them unless you're Susie Chang, who probably has memorized every single thing that has ever happened to a tarot card. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so like, you know, uh, just sort of continually being aware of the fact that not only are there historical facet, facets of the tarot that are left to learn, but there's, uh, there's new stuff happening. You know, um, people develop new methods of uh, looking at the cards or reading um, various aspects of the cards. Or, you know, like right now, um, a lot of the, the, you know, the looking at the decans of the cards or, or uh, examining like the way cards sort of interact with the uh, flow of the year has become, I think, more popular, or maybe it's just I feel it's more popular because I'm looking at it more. But um, but even through that, there are new techniques. You know, people are using the cards to do more things that that involve like uh, actual prediction of times and dates and stuff, uh, which I'm not super comfortable with a lot of the time. But I still use it every once in a while just because it's sort of curious. You know, it's it's weird when it works. Uh, I don't know what that means when it works. <laughs> um, well, that's a good point you make too, that even if it's not something we plan to use, there's nothing wrong with still learning it, still studying mm-hmm. it, just to be able to understand all the complexities, all the different ways to read, all the different schools of thought. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find myself trying to learn methods that, I don't intend to use or that maybe I just don't even really feel are 
a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think know what's out there. Yeah. I think that's really important, um, to do because it helps you also keep an open mind. I think that, um, one thing that I've discovered is uh, if I go into looking at a new method, telling myself I will never use it, I will probably end up using it. <laughs> um, but also just even even knowing these different possibilities allow you as a, as a really experienced reader to kind of um, evolve your own style and evolve your own way of looking at things. I don't think that it necessarily, I think that it's, it, it, there's always a danger that we can we can fall into the rut of saying like this is my style i'm sticking with this forever um and i think that probably you know so there's one of the things that that helps a lot is to make friends with other experienced tarot readers uh especially ones that you disagree with um so you should you should always be ready to sort of like talk about your own method and be like this is why i read tarot this way this is how it works for me um, because it helps you also like gain a deeper understanding of your interface with the cards or your uh, relationship with with the tarot, right? Like, um, I know that there are people who sort of uh, almost like um, uh, fetishize. I don't know if fetishize is the right word, but they they treat their decks as like such sacred objects that each tarot deck is sort of like they have a they have a relationship with an individual physical deck of cards mm -hmm. um there are people who don't you know i mean um i kind of waffled back and forth on that for a long time before i started doing lots of readings for other people and i realized that like everybody was going to be fondling my cards at some point and i was like well you know i guess maybe i should just treat them as a deck of cards and let other people touch them and play with them and do whatever they want with them so <laughs> I tend to feel that I have a strong enough bond with the decks that are precious to me that that can't that can't be disrupted by someone else touching them. Yeah. Um, but I do understand why some people want to to keep their tools very sacred. Mm -hmm. I, I can appreciate that perspective as well. I think I'm I'm some kind of blend in there. Um, yeah. How often? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I th I was just gonna say I think I'm also probably a blend because I have certain decks that I never take out for other people that I just yeah. keep for my own work or just do, you know, that I that I don't use with others anymore. Um, Charlie Claire is asking with all the ways to practice tarot and interpret the cards, do you think there's a right or a wrong way to do tarot? Um. Well, I think that probably the wrongest way to do tarot is a 78-card pickup. <laughs> um, is there a right or a wrong way to do tarot? I No, I don't think that that's really a thing. I think that um, if you are, for instance, sitting down and saying, you know, I'm going to, you know, read tarot according to, like, you know, the 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 method of the gold the hermetic order of the golden dawn and then you proceed to not do that then you are doing that particular thing wrong um but no i mean we uh, we already see there are people who do like uh, uh intuitive tarot reading where they like never even learn the meanings of the cards they just sort of like look at the pictures and get like messages from ghosts or whatever um but uh i don't think that there's necessarily a right or a wrong way it's it's uh we know, for instance, that the current method of reading tarot that most people kind of use, you know, the, all of the meanings laid out by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and kind of adapted after that is new, like it was invented in the 1800s. Um, before that, there were other ways of, of uh, doing cardomancy and uh, maybe even other ways of, of reading and interpreting the tarot cards. And even if you look at like the history of tarot interpretation uh, at the end of the 1800s or in the last half of the 1800s, nobody agreed on anything. It was all just a big jumble of people making stuff up. Uh, and they still don't, you know, tarot books still aren't going to agree on everything all the time. Um, so I think it'd be uh, sort of the, the height of hubris to say that there was a right and a wrong way. Uh, and, you know, so I, I would say, no, I do not think that there's a right and a wrong way. I do think that there I agree with are, yeah, you. But there are yeah. traditions, though, that you can try to work in. And I, I like that idea that, that it's it's the parameters that you establish, right? So d 
don't mm-hmm. start out one way and then violate that halfway through. I think that disturbs the reading. So if you're working within a particular system, then you know work within that system. Maybe you do something different for the next reading. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, I agree. So you know, it, it, it. The other thing I'm kind of getting from all of this too is is this notion of things changing, right? That we are constantly recontextualizing this work, or we need to be constantly recontextualizing this work because. The times change, culture changes, people change. So operating in these archaic forms that sort of shut out the thinking of the day, I think maybe can can get you into trouble a little bit. I th- what are your thoughts about that? I think that that's true, but I think that there's also something really valuable about the... Um, the symbolism in tarot and how it connects us to kind of like the stream of history. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in tarot. Uh, even if you look at just like the 20th century, you know, the number of times that uh, like the Rider-Waite-Smith card has shown up in popular culture means, mm-hmm. that, means that most people who come to you for a tarot reading, even if they've never been exposed to tarot before uh, consciously, they've seen tarot cards on TV shows or in movies, and those tarot cards have probably been a Rider Waite Smith or something really closely related to it. So, um, so I think that while culture does continue to change, and we should keep that in mind when we're working with tarot, we're also working with something that uh, you know, in a lot of senses, and a lot of the you know popular decks like consciously either uh, ape or make use of. Um, historical figures and historical symbolism, you know? Uh, and I think that that sort of stream of continuity can help us remember that, you know, the human experience itself, um, though it always seems novel and filled with uh, brand new struggles and strife is, is an ongoing thing. You know, there's been a continuity of human experience since, you know, before there was, before people were drawing pictures on caves. So, um, so I, I would say that that again, like there's there's probably not one correct way of looking at that, but I do think it's important to keep keep in mind that uh, though we should definitely be improving and moving with the times, we should also remember that we that tarot gives us a link to an older tradition. What if you are someone who has historically been left out, marginalized? Uh, that's a problem. Uh, and, and I, and I understand that that's a, that's a huge issue. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, tarot has been used by various marginalized communities or even been part of, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, and I know that a lot of modern tarot designers are sort of working to fix that, which I really appreciate. You know, I think that's awesome. Um, and I think it's important that people can see themselves in their divination tools and have, have a way of like reflecting themselves more accurately in their divination tools. So yeah, ways of, ways of addressing that are of course great. However, um, people who are copying sort of like the Rider Waite Smith structure or the Marseille structure or the Thoth structure, whatever, they're still, uh, going to be incorporating all of these symbols that are historical and old. So it, they're basically, you know, putting a new, uh, a new face or a new, um, you know, outer coating on on an existing set of symbols. I think that is important for us to remember too that that those kind of symbols they aren't fixed. Mm-hmm. They do get you know adopted by other groups and altered in their meanings and it it is it's quite complex yeah um so it's hard to ever know for sure what anything means which can be really confusing but also incredibly liberating yeah yeah absolutely i think both i think that you know we run into uh you know some pretty weird discussions of what is it semiotics 
I can't remember what that word uh, yeah. means. Semiotics. Yeah. <laughs> when when we start to like, uh, you know, try to take those things apart too much. Um, and I think that like, and I don't know that I've, uh, I don't know that I've really talked to a lot of new deck designers um, who are who are addressing that issue in in great depth about like how much are you trying to make sure that like planetary or astrological associations in tarot are incorporated in this and even when you get into that yeah you you know you get into the fact that astrology has things like you know gendered planets or or gendered ideas in it or something of that nature or um you know so so it's always sort of a question of like how do you how do you incorporate stuff how do you you know at what line does something stop being tarot entirely like do you do you do you have to get rid of the major arcana for that to happen? Do you have to like you know how do you? I, I don't know. There's a I think there's a ton of interesting uh, like esoteric implications to making those changes to the system of tarot. Um, and at, at some point, you know, you have to also realize that like maybe you, there are times that maybe like holding on to older systems just aren't really feasible. You know, like sometimes you just have to give something up and invent something new or create something new um i don't know i think that there's a lot of unexplored questions there i'm not necessarily the person to answer them either i'm curious though uh how far do you think a deck can be altered uh, by a contemporary designer and still be classified as a tarot Gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think the minute you add an extra card to the major arcana, it's not tarot anymore. Oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I knew you'd get it there again. No, uh, I honestly don't know. I think that that's a tough question. Um, if I were more familiar with how uh, oracle decks ended up being, like I, I don't, I don't really work a lot with various oracle decks, but. You know, I think that there are a few things. This would have to be something that like tarot scholars or tarot historians would have to agree on. Like, what makes a deck a tarot deck? Does it have to have suits? Does it have to have uh, trumps? And how many of them does it need? Uh, do there need to be like consistencies and across suits, or or are there stories that are being told? Or you know, do there need to be face cards? And if so, do there need to be four of them? Like, I, I'm not really sure that. Um, that those are questions that have been uh, answered. You know, um, you can go back to really early tarot stuff, like 15th century stuff, and see like the Mantegna tarot, which is not a tarot deck at all. You know, it's 50 cards, it's uh, five suits, it's got no pip cards. It's all um, it's all basically like images of various categories. Uh, and it still gets sort of like labeled as the Mantegna tarot, but it's not. So well, the, some of those other early Italian decks too, like for instance, uh, that you were talking about the court cards. Um, at least one of those Italian decks from the 1400s had extra court cards. They had a female page, a male page, a female knight, a male knight, and then the the queen and the king. Uh huh. Um, so I think it it helps the argument, right, for variation mm-hmm. uh, to to note that it it hasn't been as consistent as we'd like to believe, even in those early days. So yeah, and we even you know even in modern times we don't necessarily have consistency. You know we don't have. Um, we don't have consistency in the way that face cards are labeled. We don't have the consistency in the way that um, the the major arcana are named or even uh, ordered. You know, so I don't know. I don't know how far something has to get from something to stop being tarot. But it would be great to see people experiment with that and push it further and further, just to see. And they really they are right. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is one of the most fascinating things to me about contemporary tarot. This conversation and looking at all the different ways that things are renamed or moved around. Um, I love it. I think there's a, a ton of magic here, and this is how we continue to adapt and grow this form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so here's here's a problem that you run into though which is that, um, you know, esoteric interpretation of tarot a lot of times relies on pre-existing systems, right? So 
for instance, if you're looking at stuff using, um, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to associate like the minor arcana with the decans or with the wheel of the year, uh, and you start adding numbers, like let's say instead of doing, you know, ace through 10, you're going to do, uh, ace through 12 with four face cards or something like that. Well, all of a sudden you break an entire system and, um, and you lose sort of like a, a whole set of associations. So, so I guess it's it's helpful to be at least aware of that sort of stuff. Like if you are going to be pushing the boundaries of tarot, uh, are you doing so within like your own system of esoteric thought, your own system of, of symbolism, or are you just kind of like abandoning that approach altogether? You know, there's a, there's a lot of tarot readers that never care about the esoteric part of it at all. They just, you know, read cards. So I don't know. It's a good question. It's a difficult one to answer. I guess what I would say is I have no, I have no good answer. <laughs> but it's a great conversation to keep having. Oh, for sure. And I, I would love to see, I would love to see and hear the thoughts of people who are like working with this stuff all the time. You know, I'm, I spend so much of my time stuck in continuing to learn like traditional tarot stuff or, you know, I guess we could call it grandpa tarot, whatever you want to call it, uh, that it's, it's hard to, um, sometimes it's hard to uh, maintain perspective and remember that that kind of stuff needs to always be changing. Do you worry at all about how you're going to stay relevant as a reader? I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess in some sense I do, you know, I'm, I already feel like, so when I went to the Northwest Tarot Symposium, I was, I guess I, I was kind of surprised at how, uh, how much the tarot reader community seems to be um, uh, older white women, right? Like mm. it's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Like I was sort of like, oh, I might be, you know, I, I'm, I'm a definite, you know, minority group here. Like, you know, um, so I guess I'm not really super concerned about staying relevant. It already feels like I'm kind of not part of like the main group of, uh, of tarot readers that currently exist. Uh, I mean, it's different on social media. You don't see, you don't see that particular skew on social media, but on in-person events, that was my experience. Um, and it might not necessarily be my place to remain relevant. Perhaps irrelevance is, you know, irrelevance is something that every human should uh, should have the honor of getting old enough to experience, I think. So I look forward to getting there someday. You know, I, I know that I still have a lot of learning left to do, and I really enjoy studying and uh, sharing what I learn and don't learn. Um, and as long as people keep reading what I write and listening to what I say, I suppose I'll keep doing it. But hopefully I will have the wisdom to stop before my irrelevance becomes horrifying irrelevance. <laughs> well, I do appreciate and respect the fact that you're even thinking about that, you know. Um, uh, Tim says relevance should be a season we go into and come out of often. That's brilliant. I like that. And that oh, really yeah. Nicely with this, the the larger conversation here about continuing our education. So maybe that's a, a matter of you know you take some time off and you you study and learn and grow and then you come back into it and it, it weaves in and out. So where where do we go for new information as experienced readers? How do we keep growing? What are some of your recommendations or things that you do to continue your education in in this realm i think uh well i think first of all it it can be very difficult you know the the tarot community the internet is is flush with uh, introductory tarot courses you know it's it's very mm -hmm. easy to find um to find sort of like beginner and maybe even intermediate level tarot stuff from you know all of our favorite tarot creators uh, including me you know i mean um, that sort of stuff is is fairly simple to find. When it comes to sort of like continuing your education, it's difficult. I think you can look towards uh, 
I, again, I think that part of it has to be, you know, reaching out to other tarot readers who you perceive as being more advanced than you in, in areas that you want to learn more about. Um, I think another part of it can be uh, kind of pushing your own boundaries or challenging your own assumptions about tarot. Um, and that's uh, that's a piece of unhelpful advice because I'm not actually telling you how to do that. I think that you can... Uh, we all have those experiences, I think, where we pick up a tarot book and we're kind of like, ah, oh, this one's not for me. Or, you know, uh, I mean, let's go back to the Holy Order, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn again. Like you pick up the big black book and you flip to the tarot section and you're like, oh, God, this is just a bunch of garbage or or this is too much crap. Like, how am I supposed to fit all of this in? And so you might put it away, but maybe what you need to be doing instead is like bookmarking that and going back to it later. And you know, then pushing your own boundaries by looking at like historical and reinterpretations. Um, or, you know, it, it all, it's always going to involve, uh, you know, pushing your brain and your mind in a new direction. Um, but I think that the biggest way and the most helpful way is, uh, is talking to other experienced readers, other experienced cartomancers. Um, and that, but that, and that's, uh, that's difficult. You know, I, I guess I suspect that there's a lot of uh, tarot readers who really enjoy kind of like not ever having to approach strangers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you let other people read cards for you? How often do you do you do that? Um, I I I do let other people read cards for me. I haven't in a while because there was this pandemic that was sort of keeping me from meeting people in person. Um, and I haven't really, yeah, I guess I, uh, it's been a while since I've had another person read for me, but I know that I should be doing that more often. It's definitely been on my list of things to start doing. <laughs> How about you? Uh, very infrequently. All right. So we're both in the same boat. Yes. But I was in that boat pre-pandemic. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess I was too, but I, you know, I've found there's a temptation. Uh, ho hopefully, I don't do this, but uh, I've got a, I've got a buddy who reads tarot, and um, he would sometimes come to me for a tarot reading. And while I was giving him the reading, he would be interpreting the cards differently, and he would interrupt me constantly. Like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what that card means. And I'm like. Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I could see how that would be a common occurrence, but it also seems like that's a, it's a, a good possible way to expand, right? If we're talking continuing education, mm -hmm. it's one thing to have a conversation about reading and it's another thing to, to, to have it happening live where, yeah, you know, you're, you're, being exposed to someone else's style, someone else's comments about the cards. Uh, it does seem valuable. And I'm kind of thinking after this conversation that I should try it more. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll read your cards anytime you want. Yeah, but... we, we can still trade. We'll read for each other. <laughs> Speaking of reading, um, I was wondering if you wanted, I mean, we can, we can continue this conversation about continuing education, but I wondered if you wanted to maybe pull some cards for uh, audience questions. I had one question that was submitted ahead of time. Ooh. Um, we might have some folks who want to ask some live as well. Would you be willing? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm feeling self-conscious about my choice of decks because I just have my Rider weight deck here, but I do have a whole box full of tarot decks behind me, um, so maybe I should get something else out. It's completely up to you, whatever you feel comfortable with. I feel like uh, that's not how, I, I feel like the person that's being read for should have some say in it. Like if they're like, to hell with, to hell with Wade Smith. <laughs> I want the gummy bear tarot. I could do that. I've got the gummy bear tarot. <laughs> that's been coming up a lot lately, that deck. Um, although that is a, Smith Waite clone, the Gummy Bear deck. Yeah, but Gummy Bears don't have gender or yeah. nationality or possibly age. I mean, I guess you could, I don't know. They're pretty much the most like inclusive of all candies. <laughs> Honestly, that deck just makes me want to eat candy. 
Um, yeah, just re- read with what you've got. All right, all right, I'm ready. I can do that. Let's see. What's what's okay. our question? Okay, so for first question, um, how do I handle family expectations for visits and travel now that that everyone is getting vaccinated? Wow. Ooh. All right, let's see. I'll pull a couple of cards for this one. <laughs> Actually, I like this question. I, I feel that myself. Some some questions about that. All right, I got to do some shuffling here first. Who knows where this deck has been? All right, so everybody who's uh, listening while Eric is shuffling, if you have any questions you want to ask the cards, we could take a couple others. Feel free to put them in the comments, and I'll take note of them as they come in. Okay, so we're talking about family expectations now that everybody's getting vaccinated and plans are changing and stuff is sort of... All right, let's see. All right, first card. Uh, Let's see, how am I going to do this? I'm just going to pull three cards, and we'll just read them like a, a sentence. Sounds good. Okay, first... The Fool, everybody's favorite. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, The Fool is definitely sort of a card that kind of frames the question, right? Things are new again, uh, or they feel new again, even though um, we are kind of, you know, once everybody's vaccinated, or if in your family everybody's vaccinated, it should at some point kind of return to the same sense of oldness. So in that sense, there's like, I guess the question of there's a question in the fool of like stumbling forward without knowledge or without knowing what you're getting into, um, which doesn't necessarily help very much answer the question, but it does sort of help frame what the question is about. Two, the Ten of Pentacles, a good family gathering card. Uh, well, heck. Okay, hold on a second. Let's get the third card out third card the three of swords (laughs) um all right i'm gonna there is a i do see a meaning in here like the fool indicates that there's just this level of uncertainty and um and uh and a desire to move forward even though there's not enough knowledge to make wise decisions quite yet you know we don't have enough uh, information now to know what the future is going to look like. Uh, everything seems like it's up in the air, um, including the fool if he takes one more step. Um, and then as we look forward, the Ten of Pentacles uh, obviously could indicate um, the desire of at least some people in the family to to have a gathering, right? The Ten of Pentacles is about sort of like a a happy ending in the material world where um family is gathered uh the wealth is abundant there are dogs and blankets and and cool shields for everybody um and people are you know there's it's a it's a family card like it's totally a card of comfort and 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 at least in this reading it seems like looking forward to comfort um but it also is a little bit of a wishful card you know getting to the 10 of any suit is a is a difficult and long journey that can involve a lot of choices and progress that may not be present yet. Uh, I would say that the Three of Swords is probably the most important card in this reading, though. Swords are the suit of intellect and logic, and uh, this card in particular is just a reminder that there are times when... um, when the logical thing to do, the, the thing to do that is most uh, sensible does not necessarily care about how your feelings are going. And sometimes you just have to be like, family, as much as I want to be with you, I cannot. Um, and it might have to be the sort of thing where your emotions or the emotional side of your desire to either reunite or never see your family again, whichever way it goes, Um <laughs> is is framed around around some sort of logical process like you might have to set some rules like i'm not going to come and visit you until you're vaccinated or i'm not going to come to this family gathering until 
my crazy anti-vaxxer aunt decides that she's not going to go or something of that nature. You know, it's just sort of saying like, you need to make rules. Rules uh, should not, the rules that should not necessarily be violated because of what the heart wants. Does that, I hope that helps. That's my, that's that the end of my reading. That was a fascinating trio of cards. Yeah, it was a hell of a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I really like the way that you interpreted that three of swords. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I like this card, actually. I think it's just mostly because of the weather. I really like rain. <laughs> so we have another question. Okay. Um, so this is from uh, the Word Witch. Uh-oh. I've stalled out on a big writing project. Advice for getting started again. Great question. Hmm. Okay, I'm shuffling. Okay, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to do three cards right in a row, and we'll see what the heck they're talking about. Card one. The Eight of Wands. Uh, I usually like this card, but in this case, I'm I'm going to tell you that the Eight of Wands is not necessarily the card you should be looking for. Maybe the other cards will disagree with me. Um, Wands are the suit of fire. And uh, fire is, you know, the loftiest and highest of the realms. You know, it has to do with uh, with potential, with with preformed ideas, with um, with passion and inspiration, and all of these like big divine, distant things that haven't yet filtered down into reality. <laughs> and the eight of wands, I always sort of look at as kind of like a miniature star card, where it's kind of about like things just being thrown at you for free stuff falls out of the sky and you're like oh free sticks this is great um so but i'm it, it just it feels like bad advice right now to to just sit around and wait until uh until the gods decide to drop a bunch of firewood on your front porch um so let's see what the other cards are saying Ooh. <laughs> uh now we're going to move into the ten of swords uh a crappy card, but I think a card with an important message. We have two... Okay, so swords are air, like I was saying with the last reading, and uh, as we see again in this card, when they're very involved in stabbing the main character, um, they don't really care about feelings or what you want. But there's also, you know, the Ten of Swords is kind of about, like, it's kind of a card of betrayal, where things sort of come to a conclusion because, and, and part of it involves, honestly, like my first thought here would be you need to get rid of whatever process you're using now. There's some portion you're working on or some thing that you are approaching in the project that uh, you might have a lot of feelings about. Like maybe you are totally in love with some particular way that the project is going, but what you really need to do is you need to stab it to death 10 times, uh, hopefully. Um, but uh, but I would say that there's a, there are ideas that need to go. Um, so now we're saying here, there, there's, there's very little practical advice yet, so I'm hoping the next card gives you something good. <laughs> the ace of swords uh but where do you find this ace of swords okay aces are aces are amazing cards right they are they are the initiation of a suit they are basically when something springs forth from nothing or even sort of like the the monad from which everything else kind of like divides and and replicates and grows um so what you have here like having that follow on the 10 of swords i think that my interpretation here is like sitting and waiting for the eight of wands to happen is not, um, isn't, won't be the productive path. Instead, you do need to look for some concept or idea in the writing process that is not serving you very well. And you need to experiment with getting rid of that. And it's going to be through that action of like getting rid of a process or a concept or idea that you just don't need. Like this could be, you know, the 10 of swords could be about like, uh, uh, a, a round of heavy-handed editing um but through that the ace of swords talks about sort of like new ideas springing forth new concepts coming up uh so i would say if you are stalled out on your writing project uh switch gears uh do some editing be cruel to your writing and edit heavily with a vicious ten-sorted hand maybe both hands you got ten 
um, and uh, and see what ideas sort of spring forth out of that. Like perhaps something that you cut or some idea that you're revisiting too often might need a new approach or a new way to look at it. Um, and also the Ace of Swords could be an indicator of uh, of a new process and not a new idea. So it might be something where you need to just like, once you're done editing, you need to do some sitting and real, like, you know, have a schedule. Okay. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad that that worked. (laughs) I love that interpretation that, that eight of rods too. It's almost like that external pressure, right? That it has to go at a certain pace. Mm Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I like that Ten of Swords here. I, I think that's actually really, that's really great. Oh, good. Thank you, Eric. Well, uh, you're welcome. Will you answer one more question? We have one more. Okay, I can answer one more question. Okay. I mean, I could answer uh, more than one more, too, if you want. That's. I'm embarking on, wait, let me just, I want to read it exactly so I don't mess it up. I'm embarking on a journey of healing my physical being. Do the cards have any insight on what I'm not Seeing. Okay. Uh, can you repeat okay. the question again? Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm embarking on a journey of healing my physical being. Do the cards have any insight on what I'm not seeing? Ah, all right. Okay, here we go. Card one. It's the three of swords again. Um, I would say that uh, the Three of Swords is, you know, again, it's a it's a card of of process that doesn't necessarily care about feeling. Um, it's also a card of kind of like logic and uh, things sort of linking together in a um, sort of like logical sense that again, like, doesn't really care about how you're feeling or what. Or when I say feeling, I don't mean your physical body feeling, but like your emotions. The, the Three of Swords rarely cares about emotions. Um, and I would say that the the first message here is uh, is going to be one that's saying like healing at times requires uh, patience and process. You know, it, it kind of makes me think of like physical therapy. Like you have to keep going and doing it and doing the exercises, even though they suck, even though it might hurt, even though it might be boring, even though it's, it might be exhausting. Like sometimes there are simply processes that you have to go through in order to heal. Uh, next we have more swords, the six of swords. Um, the Six of Swords uh, is a card. Like, I think that there's something that kind of looks sort of somber and sad about this card, which definitely does not set it apart from other swords. It kind of just makes it part of the family. Um, sixes, though, are all cards that, it, for me, have some form of either like desire or love kind of encoded in them, uh, which doesn't fit a whole fit really well with how I usually interpret the swords. And the Six of Swords, though. I think a lot of times it gets interpreted as some sort of journey card. For me, is about a journey towards more knowledge or even a desire for more knowledge. So there, I think there might be something in here that might be saying, uh, you know, connecting it to the Three of Swords, that there is process that needs to be gone through. The process might not be one that you will find enjoyable or lovable or... Uh, exciting, but it might be something that you have not yet discovered. So it could be something that is, it might be saying something that like more research is needed, more knowledge is needed, um, maybe more uh, more information on whatever you are currently healing from might be required. So there might be something that you have not yet discovered that uh, that is slowing you down or not, um, or at least, you know, could be speeding you up um and then the third card the emperor master of the physical world um i yeah the emperor is really about mastery of the physical world you know the you have the 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 emperor and the hierophant and the major arcana sort of uh team up to kind of like boss everything around um the emperor sort of being the um, uh, 
the sort of like ruler over the physical, but also there's something in the emperor that is kind of about uh, like a status quo or or uh, something sort of reaching reaching a point of stasis or holding still, but in a in a place of power, um, which I think would be something that you would want to be aiming towards. You know, the emperor might be a sign of future health or future well being, um, and I do think that it's kind of a good. Uh, omen in this particular case but my impression from this is that you're going to need to find some more information uh, and it's going to be a po- it's going to be moving you in a positive direction even if it's not necessarily going to be something that you like I hope that helps Solid answer. I think it's positive ending on the, the the in the place of stability, though. That seems like a really great trajectory. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think the emperor is a great card to end on in this particular situation. Yeah. Thank you, Eric, for answering these questions. Well, it was my pleasure. Um. Well, we are a little over an hour now, so um, that is a good amount of time, I think, but I want to give you an opportunity here for any closing thoughts that you have about continuing tarot education, you know, what what readers who are already quite advanced can, can do, maybe some specific resources that you would personally point people towards? Um, you know, I think probably the most specific resource that I can think of off the top of my head would be uh, the Fortune's Wheelhouse podcast. Um, okay. They uh, so that's run by uh, T. Susan Chang and Mel Moline, and they go in depth into like each card individually. Uh, then they sort of break it up into different areas, and they go into each suit or each astrological symbol or each planet or each element. Um, and they they approach tarot from a bunch of different angles, uh, and it's all sort of like within kind of the. Um, esoteric tradition that's associated with like the the golden dawn or or the or uh or the thoth tarot but um but i think that one of the things that you can see in that is that there's a lot of ways that tarot can kind of like branch out and provide inspiration to you so i think that would be one really good specific um resource uh, another resource that I was very impressed with was the Northwest Tarot Symposium when it was able to happen. I'm sure it'll start up again in 2022. Uh, I hope so anyhow. But that was a really good place for me to meet new readers, to um, to be exposed to like new techniques and new ways of looking at cardomancy that enabled me to sort of, you know, be like, oh shit, there's more stuff to learn. Um and then also, uh, I think that sometimes looking at historical tarot stuff is a really good idea. Uh, there's a book called The History of the Occult Tarot by two people whose last names start with D. I don't remember. I can't read them from here. Something in Dumont, I think. Uh, anyhow, that book really opened my eyes a lot when I read it a few years ago um, to sort of like, it, it sort of shakes the foundations a little bit, right? It can sort of help you be like, oh, this current way of looking at tarot is only 100, and, 100 years old, 150 years old. So what was going on before that and what will go on after this? Like, these are things that we should be aware of. Um, and then also, if you are an advanced tarot person, if you are already really good at tarot, um, make a class or or give a seminar or something about tarot and aim it at advanced readers um teaching is possibly the best way to learn and if you open your and and it's terrifying to do right like terrifying to try to like you know tell coleman what tarot means for instance but uh but through doing so you'll open up a dialogue and both you and the people that you're giving the seminar to will learn and uh and i will be there i will be there and i will argue with you it'll be excellent um so i think those those are probably uh three good places to to start that's fantastic i i really agree with your point that we learn the most when we have to try to teach something to someone else Mm -hmm. so that's a really excellent uh comment yeah and, and incredibly frustrating (laughs) <laughs> well, you're very good at it. Well, so. thanks. Thanks. 
Um, well, thank you so much for being here with me today and for answering all of the really complicated questions and answering audience questions with the cards. And I'm really looking forward to uh, working with you more on Sunday. I'm going to be behind the scenes helping out on Sunday. I'm not going to be uh, on this this panel. I'll be sort of co-hosting. but uh, So I'll see you, but you won't see me. Well, I guess I uh, should probably get my hair done. Yeah, definitely. Get get the 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 beard oil that I made you. Get, get that out. <laughs> groom groom yourself. Well, thank You're you. You're lovely. Do whatever you want. All right, I I will. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks this has been fun. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for all the great questions. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.